Broadcasting from the unknown regions in a galaxy far, far away, MRC Tech presents The Last Podcast. Episode 7, everyone, and welcome to the last podcast. My name is Sean of MRC Tech, and it is great to have you back here in the unknown regions flying through space. If you're a returning customer of the podcast, welcome back. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. You can find the podcast at mrctechllc.com backslash the last podcast. If you want to become a fan of the podcast and Support the show, and we would appreciate that. You can go to mrctechllc.com backslash become a fan. There are several tiers to pick from, and I can tell you right now that the stickers are pretty sweet looking, so you definitely want to get on top of that. Thanks for supporting the show, and thanks for listening. Ready? Punch it! In our hyperspace spot news item of the day, we have huge news to talk about. And it all starts off with a tweet by the Star Wars Underworld at the SWU. And it states that John Williams' brother says there's 135 minutes of music to be recorded for the rise of Skywalker, 135 minutes of music. That is exciting. It tells us a lot of stuff there. So you got two hours, 15 minutes right there. So roughly with credits, which is like 12 minutes and the final score, you probably got like a two hour and five minute movie-ish. Uh, maybe there will be some music recorded that we won't hear, but, uh, you know, so, like, definitely coming in two hours, which will, I guess, uh, cancel the speculation that this movie could be three hours long, a la Endgame, and I'm okay with it. I think Star Wars movies have consistently stayed around the two-hour five mark, two-hour ten mark, two-hour three mark, and uh, this shouldn't be any different. I think J.J. will end up... Writing a story that's uh, quick and concise and hopefully satisfying, and uh, that's pretty cool. But uh, on CNET by Sean Keane, written on August the 13th, uh, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker score will include every theme you ever heard. Every theme you ever heard. So we need to dissect that, right? Let's go all the way back to The Phantom Menace. First off, you have Duel of the Fates. If there's any movie that deserves Duel of the Fates, it's this one. Okay, in Attack of the Clones, you have Across the Stars. You know, a very love-centric theme there. In Revenge of the Sith, we may get The Battle of the Heroes. And that awesome theme that we heard. 
Uh, we'll probably get the Empire theme, Vader's theme. Uh, we're going to get, you know, the, the, the Force theme, you know, all that good stuff. So it's just pretty awesome that, you know, we're starting to get little tidbits, and I'm pretty excited. The music for me is so important in the movie. I, when I, when I watch the movie, you know, obviously the music adds a lot. Uh, yeah, but for me, it's actually listening to the soundtrack and not watching the movie and then picking up on themes and then re-watching the movies and picking up on those same themes to the point where, you know, virtually, you know, not counting, like, the Clone Wars themes, but if you played a song for me, I may be able to place it where it happens in the movie, and that's how important the music in Star Wars, and in really any movie, but most importantly, Star Wars is, uh, you know, from the Imperial March to Leia and Han's theme to Yoda's theme that we just heard in The Last Jedi. Everybody must have felt something, some kind of chill when Yoda's theme was playing. It's just, it's just such an iconic theme, and of course the Force theme you know, it's, has been prevalent throughout you know, the last two sequel trilogy movies. So how John Williams is going to wrap this all up, you know, it's he's got to develop music that's got to match the pace of the, the movie. I'm just hoping that the there's no leaks of, of titles of these tracks because I think that's how Han Solo's death sort of got spoiled for some people is that the titles were released early, like a couple days early, and there was some kind of, you know, ominous uh, type of, like, solos end or something like that, and that's not very good, you know. So, uh, John Williams is developing music for The Rise of Skywalker. The score will be around 135 minutes, and you will hear every theme you've ever heard in any of the Star Wars movies. And that is rad. This was your hyperspace spot. As always, the last podcast cannot exist without the partnership of the WePod Squad and the great leadership of Greg and Sam. The last podcast, along with the Ion Ryan show, debuts every other Tuesday. It's been a great run with these gentlemen, and it's been a pleasure to serve all of the listeners out there. And it gave me the confidence uh, to, you know, develop my own podcast feed. And if you pop on over to the We Podcast and We Know Things feed, you will find an exclusive listen by MRC Tech Presents the Last Podcast on We Podcast and We Know Things. And there will be different content there. There'll be a preview of the episode, the episode that you're listening to now, and there will also be an extra special, unique little uh, topic that I talk about over on their little network. So it's pretty cool, so definitely check that out. It'll be, you know, around 20 minutes long, so it's a little snack for your drive to Acme or Giant or Weiss or even Whole Foods. So check it out over on the We Podcast and We Know Things Network. Let's explore the Holonet highlights, a quick glance of all the Star Wars news that has happened in the past couple of weeks. As always, let's get our countdown to the rise of Skywalker, and we are at 126 days until December 19th, 2019. 
So with that, let's start off with some of the Rise of Skywalker news. Uh, one of the coolest accounts I've been following on Twitter is Phase underscore Runner. And he has developed some pretty awesome fan art posters. And one of his posters reminded me of a theory that I I believe it was on one of uh, the We Podcast and We Know Things core episodes where Greg and Sam had me on and we were just talking a little uh, post-Last Jedi kind of stuff. Or maybe it was post-Rogue One. I, I, I kind of forget. And uh, one of the main staples of Rogue One was Vader's castle. And obviously, you know, the Disney showrunners created this castle to be significant. Like, why would you create a castle for a singular show? And the, the castle has shown up in the comics, and that's great, and whatever. Uh, but Phase Runner has created a fan art poster with Rey on Mustafar at the bottom of a chasm holding Kylo Ren's lightsaber in one hand. Her, her lightsaber, formerly Luke's, formerly Anakin's lightsaber in the left hand, with chopped-up TIE fighters from the First Order Specialist TIE fighters, and up on the cliff is Vader's castle. I will submit that the theory for Vader's castle showing up in the sequel trilogy is coming true. It has to be. I know this is a fan art poster. I know that it has nothing to do with it, but it's it's... I'm going to put a bold hot take out there that we will see Vader's castle. There will be an artifact in Vader's castle that they have to get. You heard it here first. Another person I follow on Twitter is Patrick Covey, Patrick Covey, at Ganon136. Uh, he's was part of the Star Wars Newsnet team, I believe, for a little bit. And we've had a little bit of nice interactions on Twitter, and he does a really great job at... Uh, you know, streaming and getting people together and, you know, talking about Star Wars and other, you know, relevant things. But he uh, put out, you know, he retweeted something from Collider magazine, I guess, or website. And it was Dom Hall Gleason who's doing a little presser for a movie called The Kitchen. But he was asked what he felt when he read the Star Wars 9 script for the first time. And so here is the little quote. It was cool. It was a page turner. It was different than what I had thought. It was great. It was exciting. And also, you feel part of this tiny club that gets to read these things ahead of other people, and that feels great. I really did enjoy that. I think it's going to be cool. Now, that's just one person's opinion, uh, but, you know, it's pretty cool. Again, you know, I, this is all conjecture. It, it could be lying. You know, it could be red herrings. J.J. Abrams has been doing that for years. But it's pretty awesome just to kind of, again, get a little bit of detail, a little bit of feeling from people without exactly crossing into the line of Spoiler City. Now, a huge theory that I have committed to, and I, I've committed to this theory since The Force Awakens. Now, for those that don't know, I saw The Force Awakens seven times in theaters with different people. Uh, night one, I was dressed in full Jedi gear with six of my buddies, uh, which my buddy Mike was dressed in a full Chewbacca PJ suit, which was awesome. And we saw that movie, and it was obviously fantastic. I saw it that night. I saw it the next night. And then just throughout the time, you know, I saw it with different people because I, you know, I really wanted to talk about it. I mean, this was super exciting back in 2015. You know, we had a new Star Wars movie, new, new concepts, blah, 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 you know, all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, one of my big theories was that Han Solo knew 
what he was getting himself into, and that he had to sacrifice himself to convince Snoke that Kylo was who he said he was so he could turn the tide of the war. That was kind of my theory uh, that I spoke about. I may have talked about it on the We Podcast and We Know Things Network, uh, but I know I spoke about it. And listen, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to, I'm not saying that I'm the only one who thought that. Let me make that clear. But again, I have these thoughts that, you know, the whole reason why I started, you know, MRC Tech and Star Wars and, you know, tweeting out and stuff like that, just go ahead and get my thoughts down on paper, you know, and, and look back and remember. So an article came out on Esquire on August 1st. So this is, you know, 14 days old. It's August 15th on the night of this recording. And it says, Did Ben Solo kill his father for the greater good? This theory says Kylo Ren was a double agent the whole time. So I just want to kind of read this to you because I find it to be very, very interesting. Uh, This was written by Matt Miller. Things are always pretty black and white in the Star Wars saga. You have Jedi and Sith, good and evil, the light side of the Force, and the dark side of the Force. Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader. But The Last Jedi introduced a gray area between the light and dark sides of the Force, with our new hero Rey not fully wanting to choose sides between Jedi and Sith. And the complexity of The Last Jedi sets this new saga up for what could be a more nuanced idea of good and evil in the upcoming Rise of Skywalker. So a Star Wars fan on Reddit recently posed the idea that Kylo Ren killed his dad, in quote, killed his dad, in quotes, to become closer to the dark side so he could draw out Palpatine and finally end it. Now, that wasn't exactly my theory, but I am in on this. Now, this certainly would be tragic and an interesting twist, but how exactly would it work? We saw Kylo willingly attempt to kill his own mother in The Last Jedi, but willingly attempt and doing it's two different things. And the other atrocities he's committed cannot justify destroying the Empire. Emperor, could he? Another user jumped in with what's a pretty interesting theory on how Kylo Ren could have initially been attempting to infiltrate the Sith, only to be seduced by the dark side. Now, this is from Reddit. It's useful to keep in mind that Anakin's turn to the dark side was a result of various uh, various things. We can say that ultimately his main conscious decision to turn to the dark side was his fear of Padme's death and the assurance from Palpatine that he could save Padme if he became a Sith. And so this conscious decision cemented his turn to being a Sith. However, it's not the only reason. Already Anakin had serious emotional issues. True. His love for Padme was jealous and possessive. He was distrustful and resentful of the Jedi Council, and increasingly distrustful and angry with Obi-Wan. Anakin had emotional issues that had been simmering for some time that made him open to the dark side, and certainly enough to keep him there once turned. His decision to be a darksider was a conscious decision on his part that he believed would help him set the world, uh, like ending slavery and saving his family. He had a reason that he believed to be good in becoming a Sith, but that doesn't mean becoming a Sith was a good choice, especially with all his issues. We can potentially regard Kylo in the same way. He could have made a conscious decision to join the dark side to save something, so uh, like end Palpatine, whatever, but still have... Numerous emotional issues and trauma dealing with perceived betrayal from his family and abandonment issues. 
as well as his belief that his role is to be the monster everyone thinks he is. I had dismissed the double agent theory before, but I now see that I was viewing it too simplistically. It's not an either-or thing. Kylo could have very well believed he was doing something right, in quotes, but that also means he would have to become the monster everyone considered him to be. And with his fear issues, becoming that monster was not too difficult. His words to Han that it's too late indicates that Kylo has absolutely done some S and that he is aware it is morally wrong and that he isn't exactly happy about it. But in both films, it seems Kylo acts as he has no choice but to do so. Sunk cost fallacy likely plays a role in this, but it's possible that there's a kernel of notion that he's doing this for some good endpoint. This reading of Kylo's personality and relationship to the dark side fits with what we saw after the death of Snoke in The Last Jedi. With Snoke dead, Kylo asks Rey to join him to end the First Order and lead a new society of their own. Rey turns him down, knowing that he's capable of horrible things, but what if he truly believes that he's doing the right thing? That, he, that he's killed his father, attempted to kill his mo mother, to end evil forever. It's a very, very interesting theory, and there might be something to be said about this. This could be the twist we are looking for in The Rise of Skywalker. So what do you think of Kylo Ren being a double agent? One other thing about The Rise of Skywalker is the potential that we will see an answer to how Anakin's lightsaber slash Luke's lightsaber lost at Bespin in Empire Strikes Back made its way into the sequel trilogy. We almost found out about it in The Force Awakens through Maz, who gave a clever line and dismissed it, and then we didn't hear of it since. So the Rise of Skywalker could close that gap. So I found a little article on Inverse written by Ryan Britt on August 1st. And it basically breaks down what could potentially happen. Uh, what could potentially happen with the answers to how the lightsaber got found. So one theory uh, that this gentleman has is that Vader personally retrieved it from Bespin. So it was not really lost and, you know, there's a lot of evidence in the comics and books that states that kyber crystals like in Rogue One are very, very scarce. So Vader, knowing that lightsabers are also very rare, probably had it retrieved. He would have had the means to do so. Uh, two, uh, smugglers found it and eventually sold it to Maz. Maybe. Uh, I guess that could happen. Uh, one, Kylo Ren's people tried to get it and failed. And he states that for years, we've all wondered what Rey was witnessing when she saw the Knights of Ren in this vision. And it's certainly possible they were trying to snag the lightsaber. And even if the Force vision isn't connected to the journey of the lightsaber, that's the line. There's that line from Kylo Ren when he faces Finn in the forest on Starkiller Base. And he says, that lightsaber, it belongs to me. This implies Kylo Ren knows the lightsaber wasn't just lost on Cloud City and has been actively looking for it, which of course implies that he totally failed in obtaining it somehow. In addition, Kylo also has Darth Vader's melted helmet, so we know he's collecting artifacts, and he probably was trying to find his lightsaber. I would love to see uh, some of this stuff come back, including that random shot of Maz Kanata handing Leia 
Luke's lightsaber in like the original teaser trailer that never made it to the film because J.J. Abrams is a creep and didn't give us that on you know the big screen. But it's very cool to think that this will be resolved. So we'll see. In the final little article of our Rise of Skywalker topic, I would like to kind of report on the direction that Star Wars could go after the Rise of Skywalker hits theaters. And this, of course, would deal with the, you know, Ryan Johnson trilogy or the uh, the Weiss and Benioff trilogy or even just like, you know, books and whatever. So uh, I'm going to paraphrase this uh, rather lengthy article by Mick Jost uh, written about two weeks ago on Cinema Blend. And more or less, Mick brings up some good points. And it's like, you know, forever, for these nine movies, we've had good and bad. Uh, Sith versus Jedi. Uh, rebellion versus uh, the Empire. Resistance versus First Order. Pretty black and white. But what if there's an enemy out there that is worse? Um, you know, there's mention of a species called the Grisk. And they were mentioned in, if you read the Thrawn novels, or if you're familiar with Grand Admiral Thrawn, he is from the Unknown Regions. And his uh, role is to basically assess threats. And he gets recruited to the Empire because he's very good with tactics. Uh, but he knows that the Grisk are out there and that he's basically preparing his people to defend against them because he knows that they're devastating. Uh, what if the Grisk show up? Either in The Rise of Skywalker at the end or in some other medium. Or they're, it's, they're somehow teased. And our people have to team up. You know, the First Order realized that they need the Resistance or you know, vice versa. The Sith Troopers could potentially fill that gap in this movie, The Rise of Skywalker. Because if the Sith Troopers are directly under Palpatine, but they're not under the First Order, then they're going to be directly opposing each other. So there's a possibility I, you know, that the First Order and Resistance may team up to defeat Palpatine. It's quite possible. I mean, we've seen this in Game of Thrones, where everybody's vying to be king or queen. And then the White Walkers showed up. So they're like, well, we got to kind of make sure we can live to fight another day. Uh, so in the first Avengers movie, you have Loki. Loki was very powerful. New York was destroyed. And at the end, we find out that he, there's somebody worse. You know, so this is pretty common. And uh, I look forward to the opportunity to have a bigger villain, you know, a stronger character somebody that you know we're going to say wow i i don't know how they're gonna defeat the threat um you know you have the concept of you know black and white good and bad and but you know with the last jedi there's a lot of gray so there's a possibility that this new line of jedi will be more balanced between light and dark and they'll need an enemy that might be equally scary, you know, you know, and am ambiguous toward either, you know, uh, good or evil. Um, but we, I don't think, you know, according to this article, and I agree, I don't think Kylo Ren is that enemy. Um, he's probably going to have a redemption arc somehow. Uh, and, you know, Rey's going to 
be that person that, you know, is both good but also embraces the dark when needed. So I guess uh, we'll find out uh, in 126 days. You know, the rise of Skywalker, it's coming. And, and you know, as these, these little tidbits come out, I'm getting a little bit more excited for the movie. But, you know, rumor has it in October we'll get the next, you know, trailer. You know, uh, you know we got a teaser and then we'll get a trailer and then usually we get trailer two and then a bunch of TV spots. So yeah, the marketing is coming. So get ready, everybody. That ends our uh, Rise of Skywalker segment of the Hollow Net Highlights. Uh, but I want to report on a little gaming today in Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, a game I played for a while. Uh, I, I dumped some time. I didn't dump any money. No money. No money. This is a free game to play, but of course you could pay if you really want to. Um, maybe I spent a little money. Usually I, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give an app like 10 bucks if I like it. And uh, Galaxy of Heroes reaches 80 million players since 2015 debut. And that's really, really good. So the concept of this game is, you know, you got, uh, like, characters, and you basically, like, it's kind of, like, top-down, and then there are battles with, like, RPG style, and you have, like, four to five heroes, I'm trying to remember, and those heroes can be upgraded, and the reason why I actually stopped playing it is because like I got some of my heroes to like level 6 and then I, I looked up like a guide and the levels were like unlimited and you know you just have to grind and I was just like I was out of it at that point and you have to get like you know you can you can forge weapons and upgrades and things and it just for me I, it lost its flavor but it's still going strong and I know that these developers consistently update this game and, you know, it's better if you collab with people online and you can unlock even more things and it's pretty cool. So maybe I'll go back to it for a little bit, but Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes is a success. Moving on to the book space, Star Wars Newsnet reports that although we're saying goodbye to the Skywalkers this December... That doesn't mean we're saying goodbye to Jedi lore or its history. The upcoming book, Star Wars, The Secrets of the Jedi, has Luke Skywalker, in his own words, taking us through the history of the Jedi. So maybe he did read all those sacred texts after all. So thanks to uh, John Hoey for kind of breaking this down. And there are some preview pages, but I don't want to read them. I'm, I'm, I'm good with waiting for this book to come out. But I will describe the cover for you. So you got Luke Skywalker, uh, upper top, Ray towards his left, Obi-Wan to his right. Smack dab in the middle is Yoda. To the left of Yoda is Qui-Gon. To the right of Yoda is Mace. Uh, we uh, To the right of Mace are, I think, the, right of the, uh, the rest of the Jedi Council members, which by, I don't know their names, and I don't care. Uh, to the left of Qui-Gon is Anakin, you got Ahsoka, and then another Jedi Council member. Uh, so, we're going to be getting like a cool perspective of, of, you know, the secrets of the Jedi as told by Luke Skywalker. And, you know, I hope it starts off kind of like exciting 
to be a Jedi, and then as it teeters off towards his time on the island, he uh, gets a little cynical. Because he is cynical, and he should be. Because he knows that's how the Jedi Order sort of failed. So it's pretty cool to see that. So I will. that is an instant buy for me when that comes out for sure. Moving on to the TV space. Star Wars Resistance Season 2 trailer is out. Look on my YouTube channel for a quick reaction video to it. Uh, it's not very exciting. I wouldn't watch it. But give it a shot anyway. Uh, but one of the big news articles or the news points of it is that they are ending the show after season two which is pretty shocking um kind of for me season one didn't get good until like episode 14 i didn't really like the main character uh but this is also bumping up against the force awakens so there's not much room here to tell a story because obviously we didn't see any of these characters in the sequel trilogy uh, but maybe, if they're smart, they take a character from the Resistance uh, TV show and put them in the Rise of Skywalker. Especially if a year passes and they're attempting to, say, collect... Not collect, collect's a bad word. They're attempting to recruit people again to build up their Resistance uh, band of brothers and sisters... Uh, maybe we see one of the main characters in Resistance show up in The Rise of Skywalker. Wouldn't that be neat? I do like when they cross the TV and movie spaces because uh, that just gives the TV space a little bit more credit. Uh, while, you know, no one really credits the books too too much because, you know, books are the hardest, you know, medium to get information from. So I would say, you know, movies... TV, comics, books, in that order, in, in like difficulty of getting your information. So I do like when TV and the movies kind of like, you know, cohabitate. So we'll see. Um, but again, check out the YouTube page for my reaction to Star Wars Resistance and wait for episode eight for a breakdown of that trailer as, you know, some time passes. So should be cool. And the final article in the Holonet highlights deals with just something stupid. And I saw now the only reason why I'm clicking, I'm going to give this site a click. And I'm going to allow my web browser to be open for a minute. I only want to read. I'm not going to read the article. I refuse. Uh, I will give credit to Erina Rose. This was written two days ago. So it's a little bit late coming to, coming to the uh, outline of the last podcast, Episode 7. But here's... here's I, I'm already laughing at it. So it says, Disney reportedly killing Star Wars originals to snub Lucas. Nice. So the idea is that they're killing off the originals so they don't have to pay royalty to George Lucas. Wow. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh, all I can say is that there's 11 comments on it, and I'm not. I'm not even going to give the time of day to read it. But the, the who cares? You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, you know, obviously, Erin. Uh, I don't think you're a lawyer, right? You're writing for. Uh, the website Sausage Roll, 
www.lawyerdebate.com. I don't think you're a lawyer. I think you you know this is a clickbait piece. I think you you know maybe you've read like a rumor you know on Twitter or something like a very uh, dependent source on Twitter and or a dependable source on Twitter and uh, you just rolled with it, which is fine. But I would say that George Lucas knew what he was doing. I would say that he has a perpetual royalty until he dies. And his kids will get it after that. So uh, we're going to just exit out of that now. Click and move on. So we covered some Rise of Skywalker articles. We covered uh, some gaming articles. Took a look at what's happening with books, TV. And we covered a silly article in the Sausage Roll Dot com avenue so that has been your Hollownet highlights for episode 7 that's no moon it's a breakdown I know what you're about to say Last episode, I said that we weren't going to be talking about The Last Jedi, and then I had a great idea in my brain, and I had to make this happen. So we watched a movie. You listened to my words, but I didn't tell you really how I felt about it afterwards. I kind of just gave you a recap of the movie. So, you know, obviously this movie... The Last Jedi, appears to be the most divisive movie. I have, on quote, by Ion Ryan himself, that The Last Jedi is below Attack of the Clones. We had a little quarrel about that, a very silly quarrel, but we ended up agreeing about it. Well, on his point, I don't think it's the... First off, I don't, like, rate movies by worse like there's not a movie that I won't watch you know so I'm kind of open to a lot of different things uh, although I've never seen The Room fun fact uh, not The Room with Brigitte Larson but you know you're tearing me apart at least I know all the lines but my buddies keep telling me I have to watch it so I don't go into movies like looking to critically analyze them you know that's not my that's not my style like who am I to judge a movie to, to give it uh, criticism, you know, I, if I want it to, I want to be entertained, I want to be, you know, uh, I want my money's worth from the theater, obviously you know that I saw Force Awakens seven times, so that shows you the value. I only saw The Last Jedi twice in theaters, once with my dad after a double feature, we saw The Force Awakens, and then The Last Jedi back to back, which was really cool, in the nice recliner seat, so it was cool, uh, and then I saw it, like, as part of, I run a club at school called the Gaming Club, and I got had I took 15 of the high school students and another moderator to go see it, and that was the last time I saw it. And I remember in that, you know, when I was watching it in that theater, I was taking notes, and you know, um, so that might tell you the story right there that like it didn't capture my attention as much, but I also like don't hate it. You know, I can't say I really love The Force Awakens. I really like The Last Jedi, and I really don't hate The Last Jedi. That's it. So I said, well, how can I, like, make sense of the not hating it? So I uh, 
like scrubbed through the movie since we watched it already and wrote down scenes in the movie. And I kind of like tried to piece them together, you know, to, you know, if it was on screen for 10 seconds, I didn't count it, but if it was it had length to it, I counted it, whatever. Some scenes were combined because they weren't long enough, but they didn't, you know, they were all kind of in the same space. So I ended up with like 53 scenes. And if you hear this, right, I uh, got index cards. And as I was watching the movie, I wrote down some notes about the scenes and, you know, kind of did a sequential order of the scenes. And then, after watching the movie in quotes, I read back the scenes and then put it into a like pile and put it into a dislike pile. And then I thought I was going to, like, rate these scenes, you know, from best to worst, and I don't feel like doing that. But I think the like scenes versus the dislike scenes will sort of tell the story. So we got two piles here. We got a like and a dislike pile, and I will start with uh, the like. It is definitely heavier. So I'm going to sort of count these out. So I got one, two. So I counted these out, and I have 37 of the 53 scenes that I liked. So that gives me a a 70. You know what I'm saying? So that's a 70%. I liked 70% of the movie, according to the amount of scenes I put together. So, you know, the, the formula is not going to be perfect because not every movie is going to be 53 scenes. So, uh, opening scene, space battle on evacuation. Loved it. Uh, the first time on the island uh, where the throwing of the saber... Now, I put this all together, but the throwing of the saber I wasn't in love with. But when Chewie breaks down the hut door and roars at him and he goes, where's Han? You know, that brought back some feel, so that's a like. Uh, the first time Ren is with Snoke and he's like crushing him uh, mentally and then hits him with lightning and breaks his helmet and he puts it, prepare my ship. You know, he's pissed off. Back to the island. Uh, you know, the Jedi have to end, Luke's adventures, drinking the milk, you know, it's all good stuff. Remember, Yoda was real weird on Dagobah. You have to remember that. Uh, he was hitting R2-D2 with a stick. Remember that. Okay. Uh, you know, you're wasting your time. You know, uh, the, the, the tree was calling to her. Who are you? You know, I'm Ray from Jakku. The Jedi must end. Great scenes. Uh, the scene with Leia demoting Poe, you know, it's a nice teaching moment for Poe. You know, we have dead heroes and no leaders. Good scene. So the supremacy shows up. Kylo Ren's in his ship with two TIE fighters. He blows up the hangar, kills a bunch of people. Uh, the pursuit starts, and they have to sort of get out of range of those ships. Back to the island, you got Chewie in the porgs. You got the beautiful scene between Luke and R2-D2. He grabs the dice. Uh, R2-D2 shows Princess Leia back in Episode 4. He says it's a cheap move, and he agrees to teach Rey three lessons. Back to space. Uh, the Resistance uh, makes... Uh, so back to space, the Resistance meets. Uh, this is post-Leia uh, going into a coma. Haldo and Poe meet, and she basically says, stick to your post, dude. So we like we don't like her. 
Uh, but I did like the scene because, again, po- the Poe character arc in this movie was good. Uh, back to the island, the first connection between Rey and Kylo happened. Uh, that's where she sh- tries to shoot him. The island natives are introduced. Uh, there's a little bit of a, you know, awkwardness uh, with them. Uh, Luke appears. The, she uh, he brings her up to the pedestal where she has to sit, and then the scene with her like, what is the force? But what is it? And he smacks her, you know, on her hand with the reed, which I thought I thought that was really funny. You know, that's such a awesome, you know, like actually. I, I thought Luke Skywalker was more Mark Hamill in that scene than being Luke Skywalker, but I thought it was really cool. And uh, obviously, you know, she finds out that Luke is cut off, and, uh, you know, uh, she goes right to the dark. So that's a really awesome scene. So it then moves into scene 14, which is back, again, on the island. So you've seen the trend. All the island scenes from you have, you know, are in the like pile. Second connection, there's rain. She calls him a murderous snake. But at the end of this scene, you know, Kylo's hand and forehead is wet. So it's like, whoa, what's going on? Uh, This is a hot take. Uh, But scene 15, right after it, is the first interaction of Canto Bite. Where we, uh, you know, we're seeing the environment and, the, you know, the coolness of the galaxy and all the, the fun. And, like, I really enjoyed the music. Uh, so I, I did like the introdu- introduction to Canto Bite and all that it had to be offered. Uh, but then they get arrested. So back to the island, Ray trains with her staff and a lightsaber. Luke, Luke, uh, Luke looks on and he's, like, very impressed. It's pretty cool. Um, he teaches her about Jedi history, which was awesome to hear, like, you know, Palpatine's name and Darth Sidious's name. And we get the first version of Ben at the temple. And she says, I need you to show me my place in all of this. Sticking with the island, Luke opens up to the Force again and speaks to Leia. She awakens. The third connection happens between Rey and... And Kylo, he doesn't have a shirt on. Why did you hate your father? Uh, your parents were garbage. Kylo Ren reveals the second version of the Luke and Ben interaction, uh, which is more of like, he tried to kill me. Ray then goes to the dark place on the island, the mirror scene. It then transitions to the fourth connection. Luke sees Ren and Ray together. Their hands touch. There's a little bit of a moment there. He yells, stop, Ray and Luke battle, kinda. Uh, she gives him another chance. He tells the third version of the story, which is he made a terrible mistake and he vowed to never teach another Jedi. And she ends up leaving the island. Right after that scene, Luke goes to burn the tree down, Yoda. And the tree, the Luke scene, lightning, folly, the greatest teacher failure is we are what they grow Beyond. Great scene. That could be my number one scene. Uh, going to space, you know, uh, I like how they were like, yeah, we have DJ now, and it's great. He's going to be our master codebreaker. But he's like, listen, I'm a mercenary. I need you to pay me. Uh, so I need that. So, I, you know, I put the payment, the first order of resistance ships, and the arms education. Like, Finn, you got to understand, everybody makes money off of war. Not just from the First Order, but also from the Resistance. So it's pretty cool. Live free, don't join. 
This is a combo scene of Chewie talking to Rey. They're heading to the Supremacy, and they're on, and she ends up on the ship with Kylo. So that's kind of just a transitionary scene, but everything about that's moving a story along. Uh, I actually don't mind F- uh, Rose and Finn's and DJ's approach to the Supremacy, mainly because of Blip Bloppy Bloop. Uh, and his cool slicing skills. We never really, we never really have seen slicing, uh, kind of live happening there. So that's pretty cool to see that. And they sneak onto the ship. Uh, scene twenty-five. Poe usurps Holdo, uh, so he takes over for a little bit. So actually, the next scene is exactly where it should be. They're sneaking through the supremacy. Ray and Ren are in the elevator. Snoke meets Ray for the first time. And then we skip forward a bunch of scenes. Uh, Poe and Leia are finally, you know, Poe's awake again. Uh, They're on their way to Crate. The plan is revealed. And uh, Haldo leaves herself on the ship. Uh, Moving forward, you know, Rey and Snoke is a give me everything. There's a lot of force. You know, she tries to cut him down with the lightsaber. Uh, you know, you are a true Jedi, blah, 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 and that's why you must die. Um, so, this is a good one. So, after DJ, Rose, and Finn get caught, they're brought to Hux. He slaps Finn. You know, that's really awesome, you know, to see them back together. But then, just when you think it couldn't get any worse, DJ betrays the entire resistance for a lump sum of money. And ships start to blow up. And that's just like... I remember in that point in the movie, I'm like, I don't know how they're going to get away. They're going to die. This is incredible. Uh, we skip a lot of scenes. And after Snoke dies, we have the throne room fight. So the throne room fight is exactly where it should be. It's a great fight. Uh, and uh, it's all good stuff there. So that's kind of the start. Uh, ships escaping, DJ leaving. I'm actually, yeah, it's that's just a transitionary scene. So throne room fight version two. Ray's, you know, very uh, aggressive scream. Kylo's battling three guards. Uh, there's a sweet headshot, and it's time to let old things go. And he says, "Please." At the end, you have one of the most iconic points of the movie, the Holdo maneuver and the, the lightsaber. So all at the same time that you have the Holdo maneuver, the lightsaber breaking, and the execution of Rose and Finn. Now, this scene holds up just from the lightsaber breaking. The Holdo maneuver is just cin- cinema- cinematically awesome. The execution of Rose and Finn could, couldn't care less, but two out of three wins it, so it stays on the like. You have Ren, who's knocked out in the throne room. Hux, like, I think I mentioned that he's like, oh, let me see if I can kill him. Oh, he's awake. And he's like, what do you mean? You're not the supreme leader. And then he gets force choked, which was awesome. We have the setup on Crate by the Resistance. The First Order arrives, and they're preparing for battle. Snow skiffs go out. They're a piece of junk. Blow that piece of junk out of the sky. The Millennium Falcon shows up and draws the ties off. We're back to the Resistance base. No one is coming. But then Luke shows up 
and he starts to walk out and faces the First Order. So the scene between Luke and Leia are just awesome. Uh, the guns fire from the AT-ATs and all those fun stuff, but he survives. In this next scene, uh, Kylo and Luke face off, and the Resistance, uh, you know, they start to make their way through the caves, and Rey is scanning for life forms. Uh, Kylo and Luke do a little bit of a duel, but he's actually teaching Kylo what's going down, that I will not be the last Jedi. Rey lifts the rocks, and the final lesson from Luke. Strike me down in anger, and I will always be with you, just like your father. We find out it's a force projection, and he says, see you around, kid. In the next scene, Luke passes on to the force. Rey and Leia feels that was a very emotional point in the movie for me, so it's definitely a like. So the First Order starts to infiltrate, and the reason why I like this scene, because Kylo Ren is a big loser here. Uh, he picks up the dice, they're gone. He sees Ray for the last time. Well, he sees Ray through the Force, and she closes the door and closes the connection for the last time, question mark? So in uh, scene 52 of 53, the Resistance takes off. Uh, you know, they're, they're kind of like, they actually get like a little bit of a break. Uh, Poe introduces himself to Ray. Ray says, I'm Ray. And he says, I know. Now, is that like a, are we going back to Empire Strikes Back or is that just cleverly written? We notice the Jedi text and Leia and Ray talk to each other and how they are going to build the resistance. And then, of course, the last, the very last scene, which is Broom Boy and how he pulls the lightsaber to himself. So they uh, encompass all the scenes I liked in The Last Jedi. Let's talk about the scenes that I did not like or despised. So again, remember, there were 53 potential scenes. So I will call out the number so you get an idea where it happens in the movie. So scene two, <laughs> right at the beginning. Uh, the whole um, scene with Finn being awake and, you know, falling off the table and walking through with, with water coming off of him is dumb. Scene eight. Although I like the idea of Kylo and Leia being connected by the Force, the whole floating in space witch scene is terrible. I'm embarrassed, and you should be embarrassed too. Scene 11. The Rose and Finn scene to make the plan to do the escape hatch and go to Maz and get this whole thing started with the Master Code Breaker is boring. Get over it. Scene 13. They're on their way to Kanto and the status of the Resistance. Stupid. I know it's moving the story along, but it's probably not necessary. Uh, one ship down. Finn wants to know where Rey is. Again, why? 18, the prison scene with BB-8 shooting coins out of his round body. The Fatir races and that whole scene. The only good thing was like the idea of Broom Boy was introduced. He gets the resistance ring. Yada yada blah blah blah. Escape from Kanto. Boring. Scene 22. The third ship is destroyed. Uh, things are critical. Poe and Holdo conflict. I just felt like that was dragging on. And then Poe checks in with Finn. Like hey bud like what are you doing? So this is prior to Poe taking over the bridge. So... How about we could just get to it? 
27, Rose and Finn get caught. Poe gets caught. Cool. Another delay. 28, transports. Uh, the, uh, the transports are boarding and Holdo stays. I don't like this scene because why does she need to stay? I think that's dumb. 41, escape. So between uh, the transports boarding, 28, and 41, all the scenes between there were pretty good for me. But the escape from the supremacy with the Phasma fight and BBA controlling an ATST and Finn being on the elevator was just all, all orchestrated, and I hated it. And it's just dumb. Like, there was no, st- at this point, it's plot armor. There's no stakes. Nobody's dying, despite all the failures. And then finally, you got Poe pulling away, like, Poe telling everybody to pull away while they're on the skiff speeders. You know, get into full retreat mode. We're not going to make this. And then Finn. Says, yes, I can. And then Rose saves him with a kiss, and it's awkward, and it's horrible. And again, it just goes back to the plot armor. There's no reason to have all this failure without actual, actual failure. So uh, that is my breakdown. Final, trust me, the final, final breakdown of The Last Jedi. 70% of it I really liked. The other I really didn't like. So I would say that that's pretty good. Uh, what say you about it? Uh, maybe you can give me your breakdown and we'll discuss on a later medium. So in this special version of That's No Moon, It's a Breakdown, I also am going to report on Master and Apprentice, written by Claudia Gray, a novel I just finished up you know, a couple weeks ago. So Master and Apprentice, I'm just going to give you a quick synopsis and some quick feelings on it. Master and Apprentice is... Uh, Prior to The Phantom Menace, that's when it takes place, I'd say about eight to ten years, it uh, builds on the relationship of Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, and it has a lot to do with prophecies. So what do I mean by that? Well, obviously, you have Qui-Gon Jinn. uh, He is the master. You have a 14-year-old Obi-Wan Kenobi. You have Jedi Rael Avros. You have Queen Fanry of the Pyjol system. You have Rahara, who is a former slave of the Shurka Corporation that kind of works on one of the outlying moons of the Pyjol system. You have Pax. And Pax is a pretty interesting character because he was raised by protocol droids. And uh, his story is he was a young child on a ship that was deserted. And uh, he was uh, basically raised by, like, 17 protocol droids. But it was pretty cool just because, you know, he was very uh, C-3PO-like as a human. So uh, pretty interesting. So these characters were pretty cool. I'm not going to really get into the story line and, and all that jazz because you should read it for yourself. But I would say that if you're going to read Master and Apprentice, that you should definitely read um, Dooku... Jedi Lost. I actually was I was listening to the audiobook of Dooku Jedi Lost and reading Master and Apprentice at the same time and like they weirdly meld together because it's dealing with a lot of the same characters, Dooku and Qui-Gon and Rael and uh, Obi-Wan. So they all kind of melt together there. So it's nice to see that cross uh, pollination of storylines, you know, uh, building. And then of course, you know, we see those characters in The Phantom Menace and we get a little bit of a more of a background to the motivations of these characters. But one of the things I wanted to bring up 
I actually took a picture of it while I was reading it. And Qui-Gon was really into prophecies. And he's he was in the prophet he was into prophecies because Count Dooku, okay, was also into prophecies. And they would study their prophecies and you know, if you, you know, the chosen one prophecy in in the Phantom Menace, you know, it is obviously we know. Uh, but this prophecy, uh, you know, the line says, one prophecy in particular occupied him more than any other. Here it is. He who learns to conquer death will, through his greatest student, live again. He who learns to conquer death will, through his greatest student, live again. Why did this stick out to me? Because I'm thinking of Palpatine, and I'm thinking that he's been wanting to conquer death and is Ben Solo, a.k.a. Kylo Ren, his greatest student? Are we going to see Palpatine take over Ben Solo's body through the helmet of Vader, through the artifacts of the Sith, and come back? Will Rey have to strike Kylo Ren down to officially kill Palpatine? I don't know. But what I do know is that the Lucasfilm Story Group always has their hands in these books. And they always, basically, you know, I've heard a lot of interviews between authors and, um, and uh, TV writers. And basically, the, the story group says, hey, you can do this, you can do that, stay away from this. And if you could, try to incorporate this. I'm feeling that they wanted to put this prophecy in. To make it connect to the rise of Skywalker. So you have a beginning prophecy and an end prophecy. And that's my bold take on Master and Apprentice and the Prophecies. It's a very good book. You should definitely read it or listen to it. It's got some really great uh, lines in it. Uh, Qui-Gon's pretty awesome. You know, we didn't get to spend a lot of time with Qui-Gon in The Phantom Menace. So we get to spend a lot of time here with Qui-Gon. So that's definitely worth its weight in gold. And that uh, ends my little mini-review for Master and Apprentice. Again, if you want to check out an exclusive review of something special, you're going to want to check out the We Podcast and We Know Things feed for that special episode. And that has been That's No Moon, It's a Breakdown. All right, everybody, in the final approach to Episode 7, I'd like to give you a little update on Galaxy's Edge. There has been some negative stories out there concerning the attendance and people not going and it not making money and all that silly stuff that's out there. Listen, you don't want to go to a Star Wars land, don't go to the Star Wars land. But don't harp on things that may or may not be true. I would like to set the record straight. Bob Iger has made comments about this. Uh, Jenny E. Nicholson on Twitter summed it up really nicely. Let's start off with that. Galaxy's Edge has low attendance because, one, non-locals were warned away and told to expect unmanageable crowds. Two, non-locals might prefer to wait for the second ride to open before planning expensive travel. Three, there were two different types of annual passes out there. One was cheaper, not Galaxy's Edge compliant. Uh, meaning they had blocked dates, and one was more expensive, 
had Galaxy's Edge as a part of it. It was a marketing scheme. If they open up all annual passes, then people are going to call for refunds, and Disney's probably not going to do that. They're going to just wait it out and all that jazz. Four, Galaxy's Edge is mostly gift shops and has one ride and no scheduled shows, so it has less revisit value for the unblocked locals who have already seen it, and they really need to bring back the Jedi Training Academy show or something. In addition, uh, employees were also blocked out, so I'm sure they will be unblocked soon. So you're going to see surges in the next couple months. You're going to see a surge to Florida. There's a reason why they didn't open them at the same time. Why would they open the same uh, type of uh, theme park land in, at the same time to divide people? You know, you know, um, One's in California, one's in Florida. There are months apart, and then the next ride will come out months apart. It's a slow rollout, as it should be, to get people to come back. I didn't jump at the opportunity to go to Galaxy's Edge. I didn't want to spend all that money. It wasn't necessary. I knew I was going in December, and it's even better because if the crowds are manageable, then I'll be able to do everything that I want to do instead of waiting 10 hours for a Hagrid's ride in Universal Islands of Adventure. So the negative stories out there might be true, but I like that Jenny broke it down for us to see how it actually has been working. And uh, I'm going to give you my full report on Galaxy's Edge in December when I come back from the park. So that has been your final approach of Episode 7. As always, we can't do this podcast without the support of the We Pod Squad. Kudos to We Podcast and We Know Things, hosted by Greg and Sam. And kudos to... Uh, the Ion Ryan Show, hosted by Ion Ryan himself, and his awesome production value that he's been putting out. Episode 6 was aces, so keep up the good work. And make sure you subscribe to the We Podcast and We Know Things feed so you can get the core and bonus episodes of We Podcast and We Know Things. Ion Ryan's show on the opposite Tuesday of the exclusive episodes brought to you by MRC Tech presents the last podcast created specifically for the we pod squad and make sure you check back every other tuesday on the last podcast feed that way you are in the loop on all your star wars news and breakdowns aplenty transmissions coming in this is comms chatter the question that was posed last episode was what would happen to the millennium falcon in episode 9. Starting off, M. Cassini on Instagram DM'd me and said, I would like to say it will be destroyed and then rebuilt because after all, it's owned by Disney now. Logically, I would say either that scenario or nothing at all happens. My ideal ending for the fastest hunk of junk would be to die in an ultimate sacrifice, perhaps in an ultimate battle against a possible new super weapon. Thanks, M. Doc Cassini, for that. Uh, we're definitely on the same page there. Uh, at Pie in the Sky, I would actually like to see Kylo Ren pilot the Millennium Falcon, put the dice onto the dash a la Han, and fly that sucker to sacrifice himself, thus completing his redemption arc. And then in an epilogue of the, uh, the Rise of Skywalker, we see Rey scavenging the Millennium Falcon and rebuilding it as best as she could with Chewie by her side. Maybe renaming it to 
you know, the solo something or, or whatever. You know, maybe Millennium Falcon is a legacy name. Who knows? But it should be pretty interesting. Next up, we have Mike Mann of Monkey Basement Productions, who gave me a little audio clip. So here it Hello, goes. Hello, Sean. It's Mike Mann, your number one fan, and I'm answering your question about the Falcon. What do we think will happen to the Falcon? Me, personally, I hope nothing. I love that ship like the First Order hates that ship. It's it's a character. I mean, there's nothing else to say. It's a character. And to see, you know, just like seeing Han Solo go down, it wasn't fun to watch. Um, even though I knew it was coming, but it was still hard to watch. But to see the Falcon go down, it'll, be, it'll feel the same way. It'll, it'll be rough. And, you know, there's uh, that fan art. The, uh, that guy made a phaser something. I'm sorry, I can't remember your name. Of the Falcon being torn in two right up the middle. I, oh, my God, that would hurt to see that happen. I don't want to see that happen. I want to see... You know, I, I think something will happen to the ship that may disable it for good, but to see it get torn apart like that would, would be devastating. I I want to see it, you know, the, the camera fade fade away on it and in credits. You know, I don't want to see it destroyed. I love that ship too much. It's too iconic. It's too cool. I, I don't want to see nothing happen to it, but... It probably will, though. But that's all I got, buddy. You keep it up, man. Later. Thanks, Mike. That was FaZe Runner who made that poster of the Falcon splitting up. But I definitely echo some of your thoughts and feelings on that and how sad it would be if the Falcon were to not survive or if it will survive in some way, shape, or form. So thanks, M.Doc Cassini and Mike Mann of Monkey Basement Productions. Make sure you follow them on Instagram, on Twitter, on uh, all the social media profiles that they put out. They put out some great content. So thanks a lot for that. So our discussion question for Episode 7 is going to focus in on Star Wars Resistance. So it's a, it's a couple-parter, so pay attention, children. Did you watch Resistance Season 1? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Tell me your thoughts. Follow-up question, what are you looking forward to in Season 2? What does it need to accomplish? We will discuss this further in Episode 8, so stay tuned for that. Well, kiddos, this brings us to the end of Episode 7, so I want to thank you for tuning in once again and uh, allowing the last podcast to exist in your world. It would be most gracious if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes or on Google Play or however it actually works. I know it will take you approximately two to four minutes to do so. Uh, That would be very helpful. If you want to support the show, you can go to mrctechllc.com backslash become a fan. Make sure you follow all the shows uh, on the WePod squad from We Podcast and We Know Things to the Ion Ryan Show. And make sure you check out the exclusive content on the WePod squad feed created by MRC Tech Presents The Last 
podcast. Make sure you follow me on all the socials out there from YouTube, MRC Tech, to Twitch, MRC Tech, to Facebook, MRC Tech, LLC, to Instagram, MRC Tech, underscore talks, underscore the last podcast, and finally, Twitter, MRC Tech Talks, TLP. It's been a pleasure serving you for episode seven. I'm headed to Florida this week. We'll not be visiting Disney World because that would be a waste of my time. But we'll catch up with you in a few weeks. And as always, as they say in a galaxy far, far away, may the Force be with you. Listen, I love Star Wars like the next fan, but I didn't jump to go to Galaxy's Edge on opening night. If I was there and I had the opportunity, sure, but I was not going to just do it because uh, they were opening a park. First off, it costs $150 to get into Disneyland, and then you have a four-hour time limit. So there's, you know, you, there's a lot of concessions, so there's a plan. You have to have a plan to get there. Bryce Harper just hit... A Grand Slam home run, baby! He is sprinting around. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Holy moly. Woo! Lordy, lordy, lordy. I'm going to start this whole damn section over because I hated it. MRC Tech presents The Last Podcast, copyrighted 2019, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Music credits to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Music by Chillhop.com. Star Wars covers featured by Unicorn Studios and Pandemic on YouTube. This has been the last podcast. Visit the website www.mrctechllc.com for more information.